Well, thank you, Children's Choir. That was outstanding. Well, parents, if we could, our children would grind those truths and settle those things into the heart, keep those for a lifetime. That's a life-changing truth for them. So we need to celebrate that as a church and honor that for sure. My name is Dwayne Hoffman. It's a privilege for me to be back with you again today. I'm one of the pastors at Second Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri, and Dr. Marshall and I are good friends, and uh, I'm filling in for him today. As I told the service earlier, I am the interim for the interim. And so this is about third string, fourth. This is late in the game when they start slapping the wrist for the bullpen. That's, that's where we are here, folks. So anyway, it's my privilege to be here with you, though, and my wife Amy and I enjoyed coming here last week. You're a friendly church. A very friendly place, and so I, I'm glad now to know that if I have people traveling through here or settling into the Osage area, that I can now tell them they need to go to Riverview Baptist Church, then you'll find friends there quick, so I feel like I have done the same. And so thanks for welcoming my wife and I to be with you. And so today we're going to jump back into our Bible again to the book of Mark. Last week we talked about, from the book of Mark, storms. Well, Unfortunately, storms do come. Maybe this week you might have even encountered one and God might have brought you that message about storms right on time. Uh, I know that in the community this last week in this area that there's some terrible difficulties that faced the community, faced a family and many families. And so I, uh, I, I sorrow with you for that. Uh, but know that God completely understands the storms and uh, I believe even provides the scripture right on time knowing that they're coming. And so praise the Lord for that. Today I want to challenge you from the book of Mark again, chapter 2. And I love the idea of love the lake. And what you're going to be doing next week is fantastic to go engage your community, serve your community, step outside of what is normal. It's not the norm for a church to assemble on a Sunday and then scatter quick and then go out and serve. Usually everybody, it's kind of a come ye here for on Sunday, but instead you're going to go ye there for. Way to go, team. So that's good. So next week, you'll be able to do that together and make some impact in, their, in this community. Matter of fact, this message in, in chapter 2 today from Mark might encourage you in this. And the, if I was going to give a title to this message, I'd call it Whatever It Takes because you're going to see some guys do something that is outside of comfort in order to accomplish something great. So let's read together Mark chapter 2. We'll begin verse 1. Here we go. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them, he being Jesus, of course. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, and, well, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, well, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Forgiven you or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went into the presence, uh, went out of the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. They saw a miracle that day. 
But as we step back from this whole story, when I, when I see something like this in Scripture, I like to take a step back from it and then try to almost engage myself into it. And look at all the different players and who's doing what and what's the problem going on here. And then I can maybe take home some things for myself. So I hope to accomplish that maybe with all of us together. So let's first consider the man on the mat. You have a paralytic man who's lying on the mat. Now, obviously, his physical condition is what puts him on the mat. But I want you to consider right now somebody that maybe you know who's lying on the mat of life. Now, that might be a physical reason they're seemingly on the mat and not able to move off the mat by themselves. They need assistance to do so. And it may be that the mat of life for somebody you know is um, some difficult circumstances have come into their life. And quite frankly, their hopes and their dreams, their goals, their visions, of everything they'd ever thought to accomplish, it doesn't seem even possible anymore. And quite frankly, they just kind of feel stuck. Sometimes you even hear people use phrases like, you know, I just feel like I'm in a really dark place. And I don't know where I'm going and I don't know how to get out. Sometimes it's broken relationships that this is nothing like what I signed up for. This is not the pathway I thought my life was going to go. And through broken relationships, we end up on the mat feeling very alone. And there's no one that cares. And I feel like I don't know where to go. And I don't know what those circumstances are for you. Maybe you're on the mat of life today. That's very possible. That you're, All those things I just described, and maybe there's something else that you feel like you've kind of gotten stuck in a spot, and you can't move, and you need some, some couriers to help you from where you are. The man on the mat needed someone. Matter of fact, he needs a group of someones. He needed someone to care. He had to be willing to be cared for. I guess he could have revolted at the idea of these guys carrying him, but he didn't. But here's a man on a mat. As you consider this this week, I want you to think in terms of you're going to love the lake this next week. But maybe we can think of love the lame and those that are on the mat of life in one way or another. And you're going to serve in all kinds of places and do some physical things and some that's going to be emotional assistance for others. And there's ways to come in and just prop people up. Sometimes serving the physical brings a lot of emotional healing because you demonstrate that you care. And that you understand. So first consider the man on the mat. The next person I want to consider are the people or the four men. The four men who carried him. These guys intrigue me because there's not much said about them in Scripture other than they were four men. It doesn't say if they were related or not. I don't know if they happened to have just passed by and saw him there. I don't understand the circumstance exact, but I do know this much about him. Four men had compassion on the paralytic man. They first saw him with compassion and did something about it. They didn't just have pity or empathize his circumstance, but they took an action step with their compassion. They were also convinced. They were totally convinced that Jesus had the remedy for his problem. They knew that Jesus, because of reputation, I believe, they, they would know that Jesus is the miracle worker, so their objective was, we have to get this man to Jesus. But there were many obstacles. 
Because the house where Jesus was preaching in was packed, slammed full, and no one could get in even through the door. There was no way to press through this. It would appear it was so tightly packed with people that it's not like people were going to move aside and say, oh, oh, come on in, come on in. They didn't do that. And so because of the press in the house, there was no alternative but to do something that was impossible, seemingly, or do something very inconvenient. One of the things we always learn in ministry... If you minister with people, number one, it's messy because you start getting your hands dirty with people and people's lives because life is complicated. We've all faced storms and some of those storms have left us with some damage in our life and damage in our heart and soul. And so we find out that ministry gets a little messy at times. Ministry is always inconvenient, never hits you at the right time. The place where you want to minister or opportunity to minister always pops up at a moment when you're already busy, your schedule's already full, you really don't have the space to do all that. It might even be at 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday, seriously. So, yeah, well, that's when sometimes ministry is really inconvenient. But these men were convinced Jesus had the solution. But they worked together as a team, critical to the success. If you ever think about having four guys, I did this once with a group of teenagers illustrating this passage, and I chose the biggest guy out of our group and had him get on this mat, kind of a quilt-like thing, and then I had four smaller guys pick him up, and they could carry him pretty good as long as all four of them worked together as a team. And then I told one of them, I said, well, why don't one of you guys just quit? <laughs> well, they did, and then, of course, dropped the guy. And that was the whole point, and it was fun, actually, at that moment, but... But the fact is, in order for four guys to do this, they had to work together as a team. They had to agree together that getting this man to Jesus was the number one objective. Whatever it takes, we are going to get this man to Jesus. So there couldn't be a pecking order in this necessarily. And they had to come to terms that in mutual submission of how they're going to do it and what are we going to do here. So, of course, we know the story here that they take him up on the roof and start peeling the roof tiles off and then lowering him down through the roof to get him to Jesus because they couldn't get in the house. It's the whatever-it-takes mentality. We've got to get this man to Jesus. They overcome the obstacles of time, inconvenience, but they could have easily said, they could have made excuses because we all understand this. They could look at the circumstance and say, why don't we just wait a little while, we'll catch Jesus later. He's got to come back out of this house later anyway. Just leave him right here. Eventually we'll see him. And after all, if Jesus wants this man to be healed, Jesus is going to heal him anyway. So just leave him right here. It'll all work out. No reason to get uptight about it. But that was not their idea. They knew this man needs to see Jesus and he needs to see him now. Matter of fact, it's interesting in this text, and all through Mark, Mark uses the word immediately over and over again. Three times just in these 12 verses, we see the word immediately. Everything has to happen, boom, 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 right now because of the urgency of getting this man to Jesus. That's what mattered most. I've had several things in my life along the way that I feel like God tested me in this area of, are you willing to do whatever it takes are just willing to minister in the areas of where it's convenient. 
And some of those have happened, obviously, when we've lived here in the States and my family and I, we've lived abroad in Asia at one point as well. I feel like sometimes I was tested there uniquely because we did not have any way to have a come-ye-here-for type ministry. There was no physical structure to meet in like this. There was no way to congregate legally and easily in a limited-access nation. And so every aspect of ministry was going to come from building relationships and kind of having to go about it the hard way, the slow way, engaging in lives with people and, and kind of getting all up and where you earn trust to even be able to speak truth at all. And I remember when we lived in the, in the city we were at where my wife really was passionate about wanting to get engaged in an orphanage. And we had heard about it. Didn't know much about it, but we wanted to serve there. Just come and serve. Get our hands dirty and help in any way possible. And, of course, the uh, director said, no, absolutely not. Uh, no foreigners here. We can't do that. But meanwhile, it's like there's a whole people group here that have no access to the gospel. The servants, the workers there, no access to the gospel. And so you begin to ask the Lord, Lord, how, how will you redeem that? What's the opportunity here? Because this, this place is not only... We're in a limited access nation, and this is like an extreme limited access compound. Lord, what do you want to do here? And so we began to pray and pray and pray over and over. And finally, there became a kind of a wedge of opportunity where we were able to provide some key things at a holiday time. And they welcomed us to do that, just to show some love to the children and give some things. It was a gift, clothing and toys or whatever. And from that, they kind of led us at least through the front door to say hello and thank you. And that was about the end of that. But we just kept praying and just kept making steps forward and steps forward and steps forward till finally run that story forward about two more years. And we had a welcome, open-door invitation to come and serve there week in, week out, week in, week out. And over time, developed some uh, assistance with adopting families and foster care and resources that would help kids that are in real need physically with medicines and different things they might not have had otherwise. And God allowed all that, and quite frankly, through that, God used that whole circumstance to lead our family to adopt a child from China as well. It was kind of a unique situation. And so, through all of this, kind of a God birthed this whatever-it-takes mentality. But I will tell you, I mean, I'm not... I tell that story because I'm going to tell on myself, not the glory part, but the bad part. Because there were so many times that I had that thought of, Lord, I've already sold out enough to be here, and the labor of what I'm doing is enough. It's hard. This is enough. And now to take and stretch it another piece a little bit further to go to something that is so inconvenient and it's going to take so much effort and so long to build relationships and I see nowhere where this will ultimately lead to that's ever going to work out. But the Lord wouldn't let it go in our hearts and just kept pushing that thing in our hearts. And so here's what, here's what I learned in that thing is, Dwayne, will you do whatever it takes or just what's convenient to you? In order to see somebody have an opportunity to hear the gospel and to ever meet Jesus, are you willing to do whatever it takes 
Or have you set the boundaries of convenience of what you're willing to do? And this is what stretched me. This passage, God used this passage to stretch me. Would I be one of those four men? And when I look at the teamwork of the four men as well, it was real critical because it wasn't just me or my wife or just our family. No, it, it turns out the prayers of many carried us, I believe, through that open opportunity, that door. It became the resources of several people that made it possible to even break through that barrier. So it wasn't just one. It was a teamwork effect. And so it's what like Riverview is going to have, has now and will continue to have, and that is as a team of people working together, the four men doing whatever it takes to see people have, an, uh, have a valid opportunity to know Jesus. It doesn't mean that every person you engage with is going to by faith trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior when you're with them. But you are giving someone a valid opportunity to say yes to Jesus, and you're basically ushering them into the presence of the Savior. Many times that happens on, on the hands of your prayers. As the four men, instead of literally physically carrying them to see Jesus, obviously we carry people to Jesus on our prayers. We carry people to Jesus through our compassion when we demonstrate the life of Jesus right here where they can see it face to face. But it's always going to be tested. You know, one of the people that's not really mentioned in the text, but I'm going to mention them anyway, is the fact that Jesus is in a home and preaching in a home that's now crammed full of people is the homeowner. And he's never mentioned here. I don't know who owns this house. We know that Jesus had no place to lay his head, so I know it's not Jesus' house. So he's in a house that is slapped full of people, and now they're tearing the roof off the place in order to lower... Can you imagine the homeowner being like, man, this is great, yeah, Jesus is awesome, and I know you've all heard of him, so come on in, and oh, that's a lot. And uh, wow, this is a lot of people. I don't have enough food to feed you all. And you can imagine they're starting to get really full, and now it's like, this isn't comfortable anymore. And they're all just packed into this place. And now they're tearing the roof off the house. And now here comes this dude lowering down through the roof. And the homeowner, you know what you find out about a homeowner that opens their home up for ministry and they just want Jesus to be there? They just want people to meet Jesus in their home. The Bible calls these people, they're addicted to hospitality. They're, they're given to hospitality. It's, it's something that is gifted, that is true, but is actually commanded for every one of us. We are, Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says this, that we are to be given to hospitality. It's indicative of a Christ follower. How will you know when you're in the presence of a Christ follower? Because they open up. They recognize the, this. All of the resources that you have do not belong to you. And you know this. We just prayed this earlier. Michael said this. All of the resources you have don't belong to you. They belong to the Lord. And so you are a steward of these things that belong to God and you have just open hands in order to facilitate God's ministry through the stuff that's, well, that's really God's anyway. And so you see this through your own home of opening your own home to ministry. And, you know, I, I commend my wife. We have, four, uh, we have four sons and now two are married and I have a couple that are still in school, but a couple of them are athletes. Well, you know we opened up our home to football team to come and be able to have just kind of a, play, a safe place. We only live about a mile from the school, so for some reason my house is the collection spot. And, and over time that kind of turned into a Bible study event, and, 
a really sweet time together. But you know what else it turns into? Sweaty sock smell. Like, major terrible. They, they leave, and the collateral damage of that, it lingers. And my wife's pretty cool about all that and kind of lets these kids run over our house and stuff gets tore up and the trash pile's huge and, and, uh, and now my house smells weird. And, but here's the thing. Every time a young man comes to Christ or makes a decision in faith that maybe they're already a Christ follower, but they've made a decision to follow Jesus more earnestly than they have before, it makes it worth it. It totally makes it worth it. And so you see the homeowner. Now let's move on. Let's pick up the story again in verse 5. They've lowered this dude down. Verse 5, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Well, who can forgive sins but God alone? So here's what we find out. The next group of people or a person to consider are the scribes. Scribes are people who would have recorded the Word of God and kept recording it again and again and again. So they're going to be hypersensitive that the Word of God is being kept. And anything that would seemingly deviate from the truth, well, they're going to call that out as blasphemy if it's coming out of a man's mouth. So the fact that Jesus has just told this man, your sins are forgiven you, where they're hearing this and going, aha, the only one that has the authority to forgive sin is God. Because they know that from Scripture of the Old Testament. Multiple places through the Old Testament it is stated that God is the forgiver of sin. We know this. If you've been around church any time at all, you know this, that God is the forgiver. In Psalm 32, David prayed this prayer. He said, I acknowledge my sin unto you, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin." Even in Daniel chapter 9, when the entire nation was really praying out this prayer, but Daniel says this, To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against Him. See, the scribes know this, that God is the forgiver, and for this man to say, Son, your sin is forgiven you, he has just laid claim to be God. And Jesus then comes along and says that, this is an important verse, he says this, that the Son of Man... That you would know, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. That phrase, Son of Man, comes directly out of the book of Daniel. It's very interesting. And it is a phrase that is given to an Old Testament appearance of Christ. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar looked in and and saw the four dudes? He had three guys put in the fire, but he saw the fourth. Yeah, that was an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And he referred to him this way as Son of Man. Wow, this is intense. Because now when Jesus says this, that you may know that the Son of Man has power, he has just declared himself to be equal with God, that he is God. Oh, the scribes are just about to cook. They can't stand it. But no one says anything. If you watch careful, they're reasoning this in their heart, but they're not saying anything out loud. So now what do the scribes have to do with me? So we've got the man on the mat, and maybe that fits us. Or maybe you know someone on the mat. You have the four men. If you're a Christ follower, I can just tell you you're one of those four men. You're on the team, and we need to see where we fit on the whatever-it-takes mentality. Maybe the homeowner. 
We are all to be given to hospitality, open up our home. Are you using the tools God gave you that way? I, I laugh sometimes over the way we use our homes because when we're buying them and building them, we're always looking at how the kitchen and the living room and everything lays out. So, oh, this would be so great for entertaining and hosting groups in our house and we could do so much ministry, da 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 Well, then you get two or three or four years removed in your new house and you haven't had any groups there yet. It's funny how that works out. But anyway, so let's, let's think. We've been given these tools as the homeowner. But now who are the scribes? As the scribes, these are the ones that miss the option, miss the idea of ministry taking place right in front of them. They miss the Savior. They miss God at work. Because it just didn't happen the way they thought it ought to happen. He just didn't say it the way he ought to say it. I'm not convinced he's the right one. And all of a sudden, they start picking and poking, picking and poking, and, all the, and they're missing the boat, missing the whole message, missing the ministry. Quite frankly, they missed Jesus because they were so wrapped up in trying to hold something fast that we've got to keep this just right, and they missed the whole thing. Well, obviously, the most important person in the story, Jesus. If you watch Jesus in this, in verse 2, he demonstrates the priority. It's preaching the word. That's where you see him at the last few words of verse 2. says, and he preached the word to them. What's he preaching? Well, it's not like he's preaching the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection because he hasn't done that yet. See, he's preaching the word, the Old Testament scriptures, and leading them all the way through that to the place that they would understand the whole concept of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. That the king is here. He's preaching to them the kingdom. In the same way that he would have preached that, like in the Sermon on the Mount, that, well, you have heard that it has been said, but I say unto you. So here's what I, I know that the law has stated it this way, but let me give you the heart of the king behind that law so you catch it. So Jesus is in there preaching the word. Why? Because he knows this, that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The priority was the preaching of the word. It's the proclamation of truth. Very important. You know why this is important? Because at some point Jesus may have already passed by the paralytic man. Or maybe he didn't. We don't know. We don't want to presume things. But the priority of Jesus wasn't just to heal the paralyzed man. It was to proclaim truth because it is the truth that will set you free. If this man, the paralyzed man, gets up and walks out of that house ultimately without forgiveness of sin, then basically think of it this way. He now walks into hell on two legs instead of lame like he was before. This is critical. Because in our ministry, we all get struggle, we struggle with this. We have so many service projects we do through church. I, I'm part of all of them. I love it. But I'm also a project guy. You tell me we're going to show up at somebody's house and wash windows and clean out the gutters and chop down the trees. I'm like, oh, let's, let's go. You know, I'm ready. Let's make this happen. And all of a sudden, we got the project done. Load the truck, load the people, let's go. We got another project, we have four more to go. Boom, 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 let's go. Okay, and then you step back from this going, all right, we've totally missed the boat here. It is really great that we've just transformed this lady's property. That is true. We never introduced her to Jesus for him to transform her life. We completely missed it. Jesus has the priority of the preaching of the word. And so next week, when you love the lake, and you love the lame, you love them by, it may be, yeah, you're physically, you're going to help some people. There's no question. You're going you're gonna to be a, a stand in the gap in some needs. No question of that. 
don't forget about Jesus. Carry them to Jesus on your prayers. Matter of fact, it's one of the greatest questions I've ever learned when I go to someone's door and they're just, oh, so thank you for helping and this, this means so much. You've taken such a load off my life. And How can I pray for you? And often they will have health issues, family, wayward children or grandchildren that are just breaking their heart. And you just stop right on the spot and pray. And all of a sudden it changes things. Because they listen to you pray. You who have a relationship with the Father and they're listening to you talk to your Father in heaven. And it doesn't sound like religion. That sounds like a relationship with someone. It's like it was for the, for the disciples when they listened to Jesus pray. They were like, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Because the way we talk to the Father and the way you do this, they're not the same. And, you now, and now that somebody listens to you pray, and they hear the relationship that you have, and you can introduce them to the relationship you have with your Savior. Carry someone even on your prayers, not just carry them through your projects. The priority with Jesus was preaching, but it was also the forgiveness of sin. He dealt with this man's spiritual problem before he dealt with his physical problem. He forgave his sin. Now, he knew when he said this that he was going to create a stir with the scribes and the Pharisees and all those guys that are standing there watching this go by. He knew that. And so by stating this, there's something else we learn about Jesus. He also knew what was going on in their heart. He had the priority was the proclamation of the word, dealing with the spiritual things before the physical things. But he knew the heart of the men that were in the room that didn't say anything, but they were thinking it. Now, this is kind of a, a scary thought for us here. But right now, the person sitting next to you has no idea what's actually going on in your heart and what you're thinking. But Jesus does. Right now, he knows exactly. And he ministers then the word specific and the, the Holy Spirit of God moves into that space there and convicts and draws and exposes things so that we, as Christ followers, be brought into a conforming relationship with Him where we conform, our lives get conformed. We recognize sin. We recognize where we're in agreement with God. But if you're not a Christ follower yet, God knows exactly what's going on in your heart right now, and He, he plows your heart. Think of it like a field. He plows your heart and softens that thing so that all of a sudden you're hearing, Oh, Jesus... Jesus the Savior, Jesus the one, only one authorized who has the power to forgive sin. He is the only one who can deal with all of our sin problem today because he's already dealt with it when about 2,000 years ago he went to the cross and died paying for your sin debt. Mine too. And so we're all in the same boat. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all trespassed against God. We all need a Savior. There's no one without exception on this. But Jesus, knowing that, came to save us, paid our sin debt, and rose again from the grave alive. And here's the deal. He knows what's going on in your heart right now. He knew what was going on in the heart of these men, and that's why he posed a question to them. In verse 9, which is easier for you to, for, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? 
Hmm. Well, either one of those require a miracle. And either one of those options require God to do it because no man can forgive sin and no man has the power and authority to tell a paralyzed man to stand up and walk out the door. So either way, it's God. And so here's the deal. So that you may know that I have the power to forgive sin, arise and get up and walk. And the guy stood up, rolled up his bed, walked out the door. And everybody's standing there going, wow, what was that? But if you watch the result, this is an amazing result. You think in the context of Riverview Baptist Church, on mission, in the community, as a team of four men doing whatever it takes, it'll be inconvenient, it's going to be messy, it's going to require hospitality, it's going to be all that stuff. And the priority is always going to be the proclamation of truth. It's the spiritual before the physical And when all of those things all kind of come in together, watch what happens in verse 12. Immediately the man arose, took up the bed, went out of the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You know what happens in a community when a church like this unites together like four men on a particular mission? The whole community glorifies God. Man, did you guys hear about Riverview Baptist Church? And da, 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 da. Well, that's the glory to the glory of God. And they say, well, man, we've never seen churches do this before. We've never seen a church like forsake their Sunday morning service to go out and do service projects. We've never seen anything like this before. Yep, to the glory of God. You know why? It's a whatever it takes mentality. It's a whatever it takes to reveal Christ in a community. Because what are you trying to do? You're wanting to get people to Jesus because he's the only one who can deal with the spiritual problems. Yeah, you're going to address some physical things along the way, but it is Jesus who deals with all the spiritual problems. Only he has the authority to forgive sin. And so I want to encourage you, as you consider each one of the people in the scene today, the man on the mat, The four men, the homeowner, scribes, Jesus. When you look at all that scene, where do you fit? And at the end of it, the whole thing comes down to Jesus. Leading someone to Jesus that they might know and that the world might glorify our Father which is in heaven. Let's bow our heads. Let's just be still for a moment and contemplate. Who are you in the story? It may be you on the map. And the thing you need most right now is you need some brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you and carry you to Jesus because maybe you feel like, gosh, I just need some help here. There's people, (coughs) leaders, ministers, pastors that are here to serve you after we're all done here that would love to have a chance to pray with you that way. Maybe you say, you know what? I'm the man on the mat that I just need to get to Jesus, period. I... I need to know what it means to have the forgiveness of sin. What it means to have eternal life, to to not be carrying this sin burden around anymore. I want to be set free. 
like a paralyzed man who gets up on two legs and walks. Yes, that is exactly what I want to be. I want to be set free from sin to serve God. You know what? Every person in this room this morning, we all need to have a conversation with God. If you're the man on the mat who needs to know the forgiveness of sin, your conversation may be something like this where you cry out to the Lord and call Him Lord, recognizing He's God. And saying, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner and I am in desperate need of your forgiveness and I believe that you died for me to pay my sin debt. And I believe you rose again from the grave alive. And so I know you can also give me eternal life. And I'm asking you today to save me. And maybe your prayer sounds something like that. It's not those words that save you. It's just something like that. And maybe your prayer today is, Lord, help me be a man or a woman who will do whatever it takes. Let me lay aside the comforts and the conveniences and the limitations that I have created for myself, but that I will do whatever it takes. Lord, open a door of opportunity for me next week at Love the Lake that I could love the lame the way you do. Expose me to an opportunity to serve people and bring them to Jesus, to escort them to Jesus. Lord, thank you for this morning and for the privilege to open up your words. And Lord, encourage our hearts with your truth. Strengthen our hearts with your truth. Convict our hearts with your truth. Draw us to yourself that we might glorify you, Lord, and honor you and serve you because you deserve it all. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.